Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Iranian cinema has close connections to the 1979 Islamic Revolution. Ayatollah Khomeini explicitly pointed to the uses of cinema for religious and revolutionary political purposes. But Iranian films and the means of film production gradually changed in the post-Khomeini period. In reform cinema in Iran, film and political change in the Islamic Republic, Blake Atwood explores the trajectories of Iranian cinema within the transforming cultural and political landscape of the 1990s. Many of these changes were fostered by the leader of the reformist movement and then Iranian president, Mohammad Hatami. Atwood explores documentary and narrative films, political speeches, and institutional policies to determine how reform cinema shaped public opinion, social practices, and political sensibilities. During this period, there are observable changes in industrial and aesthetic cinematic practices that solidify into many of the characteristic features of Iranian film. In our conversation, we discuss reform politics, spectatorship, new political opportunities for filmmakers, famous directors such as Mohsan Makhmavaf and Abbas Karostami, campaign films, technological changes in video, popular film Farsi, Iran Cinema Museum, and the legacy of reform cinema today. I'm one of your co-hosts, Christian Peterson, and thanks again for listening to another episode of New Books in Islamic Studies. Without any further delay, here's my conversation with Blake Atwood about reform cinema in Iran, film and political change in the Islamic Republic. Welcome, Blake. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here chatting with you. Well, you've written a, a beautiful read and uh, one that is surely informative for, for many, and thanks for making the time to, to talk about it. Absolutely. Now, to get into your book, many listeners might need a little background. So perhaps you can begin with thinking about Iran and film in the contemporary context. You introduce us to Ayatollah Khomeini and revolutionary cinema. Can you sketch the cultural political landscape in terms of how we might need to set up your book. Uh, what should we know about Khomeini and revolutionary Iran in relation to cinema uh, in order to understand your project? So I think absolutely in terms of understanding where this book came from, it, it's best to look at the contemporary period. I mean, we understand Iranian cinema as this popular, very successful cinema, especially internationally. And I, I think our most recent example is the fact that an Iranian movie won an Oscar this year, um, The Salesman by uh, Asghar Farhadi. So we understand Iranian cinema as this really successful, popular cinema, um, kind of art house cinema that circulates internationally. There wouldn't be an international film festival that's complete without an Iranian film. But that... When I, when I started digging into things, I realized that the, the kind of Iranian cinema that we see now is very different from the Iranian cinema 
that was originally envisioned with the coming of the revolution in Iran that happened in 1979. And so my book is trying to kind of reconcile that difference. So in 1978 through 1979, there was a revolution that happened in Iran. Um, it was a leftist movement. In the end, a group of Islamists accumulated the most political power and sort of the leader of the revolution emerged as Ayatollah Khomeini, as you mentioned. So Ayatollah Khomeini was in exile, actually, at the time that the revolution happened. And when he finally comes back to Iran after the Shah leaves, and this is February 1st, 1979, he flies back to Iran from France, where he'd been in exile, and he's immediately swept to a place called the Hishta Zahra, which is a, a cemetery in Tehran. And he starts giving a really momentous speech. And during that speech, kind of counterintuitively, out of nowhere, he starts talking about cinema. And he says that cinema can be used as a tool to educate the masses. And this is actually pretty familiar rhetoric um, for, for people who are interested in the history of film. This is something a lot of leaders have thought about cinema, that it can be used um, in order to teach people how to be good citizens of, of a particular nation, in this case, a new Islamic republic. So Khomeini puts forth this new vision of what cinema is going to be. And then, and then there are kind of in, industrial and structural changes that happen, institutional changes as well, especially with the establishment of a new Ministry of Culture and Islamic Guidance in 1982. And they kind of take the reins of the film industry and try to repurpose it, try to enact this new vision that Khomeini had, um, especially with regard to what it means to educate people through cinema. So the Ministry of Islamic Culture and Guidance puts into place this new uh, structure for producing films. And the idea was that these new revolutionary films were going to have certain ideals, things like they were going to be anti-imperial in a way. They were going to help mold new good Islamic subjects in the new Islamic Republic. And so as a result, the kind of films that were produced immediately after the revolution and really for the first 10 years of the Islamic Republic uh, which also coincides with the, the Iran-Iraq war, were very much dedicated to this vision. They were didactic. Um, they were not a lot of fun to watch. They had a very particular agenda, and, and the system of producing films was very controlled. But then towards the, the early 1990s, there's a kind of shift that happens, and that's where my book starts to come into play. I'm really interested at this moment in which this kind of vision of a revolutionary cinema that's going to educate the people, that's going to be completely rooted in the ideals of the revolution. Those ideals start to break down, and a new vision of cinema starts to emerge. Um, and this is a cinema, which I'm calling reform cinema, that still plays with or kind of works within the bounds of the Islamic Republic, within the bounds of the kind of governmental system that Khomeini set up, but tries to reimagine what Iranian cinema is going to be now that there's no longer a revolution, now that there's no longer a war, which is directing resources and energy to very kind of political violent purposes. Now, at the crux of your book in many ways is this figure, Mohammed Khatami. So in structuring this idea of reform cinema, can you tell us who is he and why does he play this important role for helping us think about this, this new type of cinema structure? Right. So this whole idea of reform cinema is coming out of the fact that starting in the, the late 1980s and early 1990s, there's the growth of a reformist movement in Iran. And that is in large part because Ayatollah Khomeini dies in 1989. 
And this is a kind of crisis for the country. They, the, the country and its leaders, its politicians, its policymakers, and its intellectuals have to decide what, what is this country going to be and, and, and how are we going to interpret this kind of body of policies and ideas that Khomeini left behind. And this gives rise to factionalism in the country. Now suddenly there are lots of different camps and there isn't a single leader uh, who had previously been Khomeini to kind of hold everyone together. And one of these factions is the reformist movement. And this is, it starts off as a kind of philosophical idea. And Mohammed Khatami plays a really important role because he becomes the public face of the reformist movement, particularly in 1997 when he's elected as president of Iran and he's president until 2005. And this is really the height of what we might call a reformist movement in Iran, uh, um, although that's still a term that's thrown around today. But Khatami has a very interesting relationship with cinema because he was actually, from its inception, uh, the minister of culture and Islamic guidance. And so he has this really special relationship with cinema as a result of this position. And throughout the 1980s um, and early 1990s, he's very supportive of cinema. And in fact, the year that he is appointed as the minister of culture and Islamic guidance, filmmakers are very excited and they call that the year that love enters cinema. It's, they imagine that this is going to be a kind of very progressive moment for cinema in Iran. Unfortunately, the Iran-Iraq war took the front seat, and, and Khatami was really a big part of what it meant to control cinema in Iran for that first decade. But then in the early 1990s, he complicates his view of what art should be doing in the Islamic Republic and who should be controlling it. And he's really at the forefront of loosening some of the restrictions that had been put on place on the regulation of art, and in particular cinema. And so as a result of this, he finds himself in a very contentious position where uh, his more progressive uh, reformist ideas about what art should be aren't necessarily in line with other more hardline conservative policymakers. And he's, he's forced to resign from the ministry in 1992, and he takes a, posi a position in the, the National Library. But when he runs for president in 1997, there are a lot of filmmakers who remember fondly the time that he was the minister of, of culture and Islamic guidance. And so they start to rally behind his presidential campaign. They produce movies for him, kind of uh, TV commercial movies. They're, they're called uh, election movies. And so there, there's a real uh, synergy that develops between the film industry on the one hand and Khatami as a representative of the reformist movement on the other hand. And it's really a complicated relationship in which they're supporting each other, but they're also helping each other determine what the other is. So that cinema becomes an important part in which the reformist movement takes a very abstract set of philosophical ideas and turns it into uh, kind of popular discourse. And similarly, on the other side of that, Khatami and his reformist movement and the kind of ideals that it espouses, including things like democracy and civil society and dialogue among civilizations. These were a lot of the terms that were being thrown around as a result of Khatami's presidency. He was really shifting the discourse. And so as a result of that, cinema is changing as well. So it becomes this two-way street in which cinema and the reformist movement are supporting each other, but they're also transforming one another. And throughout the book, you you take sort of snapshots, uh, different moments to kind of think about this this moment in time and the transformations that are happening in Iran. And you begin uh, looking specifically at a very important film, Time for Love, 
What does this film tell us about the intellectual, religious, and political transitions during this moment? And what was the public response to the film? This is a wonderful question. I start the book with Time for Love. And for me, this is in part a play on what I just uh, explained, that this idea that Muhammad Khatami was somehow a vehicle or vessel through which love was entering cinema. And so that first chapter in which I explore the movie. And Time for Love was a film that came out in 1989. It's directed by Mohsen Mahmabov, who has become a very famous Iranian filmmaker. He does very well internationally, and especially maybe 10 years ago, he was really at the height of his international career. What made this film so controversial and what been interesting for me is the fact that up until that moment, Mohsen Mahmabov had been very much dedicated to making films that were very much in line with uh, what the government, and especially the Ministry of Culture and Islamic Guidance, had determined was good revolutionary Iranian cinema. And then he produces this film called Time for Love that flies in the face of all of those ideals. It's a movie that takes place in Turkey, actually. It doesn't even take place in Iran. And it tells the same story three times. And the story is essentially that a woman is married and she has an affair with a man and her husband finds out. But each time the story is told, it's told from a slightly different perspective. So in the first episode, the woman has an affair and the husband finds out and he kills the lover. And in the second episode, the woman has an affair, and this time the actors who play the men's roles have been switched. So now the, the husband who uh, from the first episode is the lover in the second episode. And so Mahmabov is playing with all sorts of ideas of what reality is. In this episode, the lover ends up killing the husband. And in both of these first two episodes, either the, the lover ends up dying or being sent to jail, and the woman commit suicide. So it's these very tragic endings. And then the third episode, though, has this more kind of uplifting tone. There's still the affair at the beginning. But in the end, um, the husband accepts that, okay, if, if you're not in love with me, if you're in love with someone else, you should be with him. And he kind of blesses this marriage. And so it is this kind of time for love, right? It's this moment when love can win instead of violence. It's very much situated in a particular historical moment. This is after the Iran-Iraq war has ended. It's time for love. Um, it's time for us to move past the kind of violence that had marked the last 10 years or so. But people really were not happy about this film. In particular, they weren't happy with the representation of an extramarital affair and the way in which the film doesn't explicitly condone it. And in fact, in the end, it sort of makes this case that, you know, morality is relative and, and it's conditioned by a lot of different factors. It's not black or white. And this was a big departure from Mahmabov, who had made these very black and white didactic films before. So this prompts a huge uh, debate in newspapers in Iran. And these debates start with a targeted critique of the film Time for Love and the director Mahmabov. Then people, editorialists, start attacking the Ministry of Islamic Culture and Guidance. And then they start attacking Muhammad Khatami, who was the Minister of Culture and Islamic Guidance at the time. And so as a result, he's forced to 
kind of defend this film and defend his view on on cinema and on the role of art in the Islamic Republic at this moment. And this is a real, it's a watershed moment. It's a moment in which Khatami starts to articulate this new reformist ideology for the first time, or at least it's one of the first times that he does it. And it's interesting that it's vis-a-vis film. And, and in terms of what this film does for Iranian cinema, well, it's this, again, it's this kind of watershed. It's this turning point in which cinema is starting to reimagine itself, even those filmmakers who had been very much committed to Khomeini and what the revolution had, had stood for, that kind of idea of a revolutionary cinema isn't sustainable. And this is where we start to see that breakdown. So during this period, there's also several technological changes that shape Iranian cinematic culture. Uh, what were some of the changing cultural values around video specifically? And uh, what, what effects did these changes have on filmmaking and spectatorship? Definitely one of the things that I'm trying to bring forward in this book is that political and aesthetic changes are also being mediated through certain technologies and certain technologies of representation, in particular video. So one of the biggest things that happens, not coincidentally, I don't think, during Khatami's presidency is we also have the rise of digital video which liberates filmmaking in a huge way, because one of the ways in which filmmaking was controlled in Iran, certainly in terms of public exhibition and kind of circulation of of films, that's always been controlled by a process that distributes permits. Um, But in terms of film production, I mean, people can't, governments can't really control what films people make. And so the biggest limitation was the cost of making a film and the fact that 35 millimeter film equipment was very expensive and the government had control over a lot of that equipment and they offered subsidies to use it um, or to rent it out. And so it controlled filmmaking by controlling the technology to a certain extent. But digital video was a cheap uh, technology that could be used anywhere and it didn't require new processes. You didn't have to take it someplace to be developed, right? And so it really opened up the possibility of what filmmaking could be in Iran. Um, And this coincides with what's happening politically where there's more discussion of things like democracy and civil society. And so I really see these two things as being interconnected. Just in general, this idea of video, the very technology of video, has been connected to the idea of democracy. I mean, it was envisioned, at least in a kind of consumeristic way, as an opportunity for people to watch whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, and to record their lives in the way that they saw suitable. And certainly in the United States, we see many instances, and and this continues today, in which people document their lives as a very political statement. And so in Iran, the same thing is sort of happening, where these discussions about digital video technology are coinciding with political discussions about what democracy can be. As you noted in the beginning of the interview, most of the audience listening to this will imagine Iranian cinema as this kind of global, international, art house type production. Uh, But we have regionally popular film uh, in Iran that is very, very important. And uh, one of the chapters you explore the role of these shifting representations in uh, film Farsi to facilitating kind of attitudes of reform. So can you tell us about how this local film shapes Iranian perspectives on political life? 
So one thing I didn't mention when I was sort of setting up this image of Khomeini and his belief on cinema is the fact that he's very much reacting to a film industry that had grown in Iran that was very much targeted towards popular cinema, much in the, the vein of Hollywood. And a lot of people were critical of that because they felt like this cinema was just a sort of uncomplicated consequence of the Shah's ties to Europe and the United States, and they saw it as a kind of mode through which these Western cultural values were coming into the country, and, you know, there was there was violence and sex, and people weren't happy with that. And so Khomeini is reacting against that. But one of my goals in, in the book is to show how that tradition, even if on an industrial from an industrial perspective, kind of stops. That is to say that the that film industry is completely transformed after the revolution. We still see resonance of um, that popular film tradition after Iran. And in fact, most of the films that are produced in Iran never make it to international distribution. And their comedies and their romances and their sometimes love stories. And I wanted to also touch on that in my book. As much as I wanted people to be able to appreciate the films that they've perhaps seen because they've ended up at international film festivals and in DVD circulation. I also wanted to show that those art house films are located in very specific local political debates just as much as the more popular cinema that's developing. And, and even that line between popular and, and art house cinema is being blurred during this period that I'm looking at. Could you tell us a little bit about what happens after this kind of reform movement starts to slow down uh, in the post-Khatami Iran. What's the legacy of reform cinema? This is a great question. Um, what is the legacy of reform cinema? I think there are a few ways in which we can look at the legacy. One has to do with cinematically. Again, I really think that even the cinema that we're looking at today coming out of Iran, it's very much the result not of those transformations that happened because of the revolution, but rather as a result of these negotiations that took place when the film industry and Mohammed Khatami as a representative of the reformist movement started to engage very closely. Um, so I think that there's a real aesthetic legacy. I think in terms of production value, there's a legacy in terms of what film can do as diplomacy, which is something we see a lot coming out of Iran today. That's a legacy of this reform cinema. And I think that even the kind of, ideals that the reformist movement put forth and that cinema helped make popular continue in Iran today. Um, still hear this term. I mean, the most basic way of understanding politics in Iran is to think about, okay, you have reformists on the one hand and you have these kind of conservative forces on the other hand. And it's more complicated than that. But, but that idea still structures how we understand politics in Iran and not just outside of Iran, but how people in Iran understand it to a certain extent as well. So the legacy is vast. Um, it's not, I'm not just trying to theorize a particular moment, but also a moment that really transformed how Iran is understanding its political system and how it's representing it. I think you demonstrate in the book also how institutionally this legacy is uh, performed almost in a way through the through Iran's cinema museum. And you, you complete the book with uh, kind of a, a short snapshot of this museum. How How is Iranian film framed in this particular institution? So the, the, museum, the cinema museum, which is in Tehran, it's in North Tehran, um, 
was established during Khatami's presidency, and it was it was part of a lot of institutional developments during this time, including the rise of a, a more robust uh, trade publication culture related to cinema, um, but also then these sorts of institutions that aren't just about preserving cinema, because that's existed in Iran for a long time, but also about putting it on display and what that means. And what you see when you go to the the cinema museum is a kind of representation of some of the things that I've, I've been talking about in terms of, even though it is to a certain extent a, a state-run institution, um, it has a number of different funding sources, but one of them is kind of state-funded even though it's this kind of state institution, you still see these kind of negotiations about what is cinema, what is its relationship to uh, political culture, to social change, to political change. And, And sometimes you'll even see moments in the museum where a film that wouldn't be allowed to be shown in Iran at this particular moment or didn't ever receive an exhibition permit to be shown locally but made maybe became successful internationally. Um, you see exhibits dedicated to those films. It really is this kind of space that embodies what the reformist movement was all about, which was about which was, you know, fostering a kind of dialogue about what the Islamic Republic is. Well, Blake, thank you for writing a, a wonderful book. I hope uh, folks will pick it up after hearing this conversation. Obviously, we only scratched the surface. So thanks for making the time to talk about it. Thank you very much for chatting with me. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Blake Atwood about his wonderful new book, Reform Cinema in Iran, Film and Political Change in the Islamic Republic, published with Columbia University Press in 2016. See you on the next New Books in Islamic Studies episode.